Our scripture reading comes to us this morning from the book of the Hebrew Bible that we call Ecclesiastes, but in Hebrew is called Okelet, verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to read it in a couple of different translations before preaching. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Another translation of that key word. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaninglessness of meaninglessness, says the teacher. All is meaningless. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And finally, perhaps my favorite translation, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vapor of vapors, says the teacher. Vapor of vapors, all is but vapor. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today in the church year, we speak out the names of those who have passed away over the past year as a way of remembering them and whispering their names into light. But today in my sermon, I'm going to give a little bit of a different sort of sermon, a, a sermon in the line of what we call testimony about a saint whose name I no longer remember, but who called me accidentally to the church and to ministry. You see, Ecclesiastes, or Okelet in Hebrew, is part of the writings section of the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament, including Song of Solomon and parts of the Proverbs. And this, perhaps, Ecclesiastes is one of the most controversial books historically and canonically in all of the Bible. It almost risked being removed from the canon in several times in history for its scandal and its odd theology. Walter Brueggemann is a wonderful scholar of Hebrew Bible. And in one of his books that he co-edited, this is what he wrote about this section of Ecclesiastes. This text is at the very margin of the Bible. At the margin, however, it performs an important theological function. It continually reminds us an established tradition that everything must be rethought and reformulated. Faith of the kind of the wisdom teachers is never settled, but is endlessly rethought because lived experience finally is the grist of faith. Living experience, living experience is the grist of faith. I believe this is a moment for Ecclesiastes, for the world to think about how to rethink our relationship with one another and the divine in the face of so much change and turmoil, to look at our own testimonies of lived experience. Who are our saints? What souls carry us in this way? What is this all about? What do we believe? As Christians, I believe we're called to remember the basics again. What is truly 
meaningful. What makes us believe in Jesus Christ? Can you think of a moment or a person in your life who called you into faith and community? Who is a saint for you in this journey? What is your testimony on this All Souls Sunday? Here's some of mine. Hello, sir. I'm here from the, the regional hospice. I'm the new chaplain intern. I called and spoke with your family. They were expecting me. I'm here to offer a prayer. He looked up questioningly, unapprovingly. Do you even know the difference between a field of corn and a field of soy, son? He asked warily. The man in the white striker hospital bed had been relocated, as is often the case in two-story homes, to his living room. And he was looking up at me, a 21-year-old hospice chaplain, standing uncomfortably by his bedside, clutching my Bible in the same way that a child might clutch a teddy bear after a nightmare, a totem of security. I could hear the wind chime outside over the still snow-covered, fallow February fields of central Iowa. Somewhere between Des Moines and Iowa City, miles from any town, I was then schooled in the difference between soy and corn at every stage of growth. Only after he'd had the chance to tell me some of his wisdom and to teach me about corn and soy, would he allow a prayer and a song from that awkward, ignorant chaplain intern. You see, I didn't receive my call to ministry in a place that looked anything like Tony Fairfield, Connecticut, or my own family and progressive outlook. I was called to ministry in rural Iowa, surrounded by corn, hospice death, and a different world than we see here in Connecticut. You see, a couple of months earlier, I'd returned from studying abroad for a full year in France, back to Grinnell College in the middle of Iowa, where I went back to work for the Dean of Religious Life and chaplain as her student worker. And we discovered very quickly when I went to the registrar that I'd taken too many classes in France and could now graduate a semester early. How exciting. What is a 21-year-old to do with a whole free semester? Now, knowing that I'd be starting Divinity School in the fall, the college chaplain conspired with her friend, the chaplain at a four-county regional hospice named Susan. They found off-campus housing for me for that last semester and all cobbled together a small grant. And before I knew it, I was an unseminary-trained French philosophy major, full-time hospice chaplain, in rural Iowa in the middle of the coldest winter you could ever imagine here in Connecticut. I was sent off to strange and exotic places with the names of Tama, Kellogg, and Montezuma, and beyond to share the love of Jesus with the sick and dying. I learned a lot about rural poverty, the feeling people in that area have towards places like Connecticut where they think we have forgotten them, places like Iowa. I learned a lot about forgottenness that semester. I didn't intend to go to Iowa for that kind of lesson. I simply wanted to go for Grinnell College and its historic political science department to go and ignorantly go through my time without really getting to know the place. 
So much was my surprise after a year in France that I found myself standing somewhere in the middle of Powasheet County at a bedside learning how to plant soy and corn from a person with whom I had nothing in common. This is absurd. This is absolutely meaningless. Why had I spent four years tearing my hair out over French verb conjugations to be doing this? I was confused, but I went back day after day and just listened and learned and shared common space with someone totally different as he talked about things that were entirely meaningless. My job was to be his chaplain, to be present. I took a deep breath and listened to what seemed absolutely pointless. But that listening, you see, was my prayer, a sign of coming to understand someone even a little bit completely different from myself. And that was just one of the many soul-turning, seemingly meaningless, liminal thin spaces on that frozen tundra of Iowa in the winter of 2011. What does this have to do with our scripture passage from Ecclesiastes that we read? This is a passage that is easy to mishear or to overreact to, to find yourself discouraged at first by the meaninglessness as a bad thing, rather than a glimmer of what can reconnect us to a new way of seeing God. Sometimes we need simplicity and meaninglessness to find trust and truth again. It's a little bit like, even though I was a French philosophy major, the absurdist philosophy of Camus kind of stuck with me anyway. But here's the deeper lesson. And Brueggemann writes this in his follow-up. Ecclesiastes is perhaps a document of the absurd, suitable for times of absurdity. Indeed, technological modernity, if one notices, can almost eliminate the cadence of our faith. In our cultural setting, we're experiencing and witnessing much loud, bold, and strident faith. But sure, par surely part of that boldness is an appeal against the cold emptiness that is so close at hand in our time. And while we may imagine a recovery of serious public faith, we are not so immune as to not notice the cold technology in the name of scientific progress that may produce a silent world without communication, a lonely world without community, an empty world without communion. And when it seems there is no more access to the ultimate, one may have determined recourse to what is penultimate. That is not much, but it is something, the very something given in this text it is important to recognize that Ecclesiastes, O'Kellet, for all of its negativity, is engaged in the process of negotiating between settled truth and new experience. Ecclesiastes lives with the horizon of God. Ecclesiastes lives within the horizon of God, helping us come face to face with the cold reality of the advance of technology I think of some ministers who are actually using chat GPS to help write their sermons. The evolution of technology dictating to us what is sacred based on the logical 
repetition of things that have been said before. These words by Brueggemann reflecting on this passage from Ecclesiastes were written in 1999, the most recent revision in 2005. And how much truer are they for us today? New innovation and creativity comes from coming face to face with things that seem meaningless, incomprehensible to us, and not just repetition of meaningful patterns that chat GPS can capture on our behalf and name the divine. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless and absurd. Everything is meaningless. If you've ever sat at a deathbed, you will understand this passage. But there is another contrasting translation of these first two verses that refrains the whole meaning if you go back to the Hebrew. Vapor or breath, says the teacher. Everything is vapor or breath. Everything is the chasing of the breaths of God. And there's a profound, liberating meaninglessness behind it. Not purposelessness or lack of things that are profound, but things that we have not entirely come to comprehend yet. It isn't about my meaning or your meaning. It is about being itself. It isn't about right or wrong or good and evil. It's about being and breathing. My Old Testament and Hebrew Bible professor at Emory said this passage connects to even older parts of the Bible. Everything is the breathing that we share with God and God's name in Hebrew. It is all common in the end and beyond the understanding of meaningful. Meaninglessness. Breathing. Everything is breath, the wind, the vapor, the common life found in the source of all things. To find this in times when we are at the horizon of God, like 2024. You all realize we're now one quarter of a century into the new millennia? Did you realize that? At the horizon of God, we must be okay with moments grounded deeply in the meaningless. Today on All Souls, we go back to basics. Back to breathing in the simple things that we know to be true beyond country, beyond politics, beyond denomination, beyond anything partisan. This is election week after all. Because we have to start over with faith in these absurdist times. So here's some basics. Church, Jesus Christ loves you. The first service smiled. You all are very serious. Any smile? Jesus loves you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. God is love. And nobody can separate you from the love of God. The universe is filled with mystery that only God will ever know. Everything is breath, utterly just the breathing we share. I had spent four years, and this is probably true, as one of the least 
smart students at a self-proclaimed elite progressive liberal arts college. Grinnell was one of those spaces. I had spent four years fighting for my own worth through grades and semesters, French verbs and syntaxes, and then suddenly I found myself holding vigil at the bedside of, an, of a local farmer who didn't give a lick about any of that. He had barely ever left his county and in Iowa, they're all about 50 miles by 50 miles. Except, of course, once a year to go to Des Moines to ride the escalators at Merle Hay Mall. Very exciting. He wanted to know if this chaplain understood what mattered to him before I'd be permitted to offer him a prayer on his deathbed. Family, farming, land. He never got to know me. That wasn't the point of a chaplain. I'm sure he probably would have disliked me greatly and sent me away if he'd asked too much. He knew not to ask. He'd heard of my college down the way. So instead, we talked about the fields, the frosts, the corn, and the soy. Our prayers together until the last day were him telling me about farming implements and me listening. And this is where I saw the horizon of God and the relationship and the simply breathing in the presence of another human. And then on his last day, I was, got a pager and was paged to visit him at that windswept farmhouse. And he asked for a song that he was pretty sure if I was going to go to seminary, I should know how to sing. Being a chaplain and all. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And he died. Corn and soy were the prayers of his life. Simply lived, grown and seasonal breathing in the love of Jesus as he understood in his theology. Ecclesiastes lives at the horizon of God. Meaningless conversations with those who are different from us must be part of what we do to heal our world in the years and days ahead with those openings of the absurd and the mundane that build connection. And this is how the opportunity, opportunity to meet and find the divine in the nonsense and the absurdity of the situation we call life and the absurdity of the idea of dying. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaninglessness of meaninglessness, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities. All is but the breathing. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever.